long written down When the man comes around Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers One hundred million angels singing Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Good morning. Well, we're going to be taking a look again at the Gospel of John this morning. So I invite you to go to John chapter 3, verses 18 to 21, whether you have a phone, a Bible app on your phone, or printed Bible, or use the one in the pew in front of you. Uh, before I roll on this, I wanted to mention I was kind of checking my Facebook feed between the two services and Pastor Daniel may wonder where he's at. Well, he's finally taking with his family some vacation. And so he posted some pictures from Grant's past. Seems him and his son Quentin went fishing. And of course, they had to post pictures of the fish and they caught one. Anyway, you get the idea. So if he wants to brag next Sunday, hopefully you'll see him, you know, encourage him, encourage him. So actually, it looks like they were having a good time. They did definitely catch some stuff. All right. Um, <clears throat> this is going to be the last message in our series that we have called five messages altogether called Heeding the Signs. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But this particular message, I'm entitling it Two Outcomes. All right, and we'll see that as we go through these verses. But to get us thinking about two outcomes, I wanted to share with you a story. It's from a movie that came out a number of years ago called Rat Race. And for those of you who have never seen this film, uh, the idea of it is a bunch of people begin in Las Vegas where a multimillionaire who really has, it seems, nothing better to do, tells them after giving each of them a key to a locker, he says, look, you guys, whoever gets to this locker from here in Vegas over to Silver City, New Mexico, whoever gets there first, opens the locker in the bus station, takes out a big bag, there's $2 million in the back. Winner take all. So the people go charging out, and it's whoever gets there gets the money. Well, one of these people, two of these people who are going, one happens to be a mom and the other happens to be her very driven daughter who's driving the car, but sadly, the mom and the daughter get lost. Two million dollars are at stake. So they fortunately, they find this woman that you see in the picture, we'll call her the squirrel lady. And the squirrel lady loves to get people to buy her squirrels. So she's doing her best to try to persuade this mother and daughter to buy the squirrels, and they keep telling her, no, no, we don't really want a squirrel. We just need directions. And finally, the daughter loses patience. Like I said, she's very driven. And she says, we do not want a squirrel. Do you know the way to the interstate or not? And the squirrel lady says, well, of course I do. I'll tell you a shortcut. And so they, she gives them the shortcut and the mother and daughter leave and about a minute or two later, they are careening down a hill 
cannot stop, screaming their heads off. They end up shooting off a ramp. The car crashes into a bunch of 20-some other cars. Fortunately, they survive. But as they were going down the hill, they see these signs, each of which have one word. You should have bought a squirrel. Two different outcomes. They chose the wrong one. Likewise, as we're gonna see when we look at these verses, there's two very different outcomes, spiritually speaking. Jesus himself, in another passage, talks about how people, spiritually speaking, are faced with two different outcomes. In Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 and 14, he says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few that find it. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this is the last in our series that we called Heeding the Signs, looking at these early events in Jesus' ministry. But let me just review with you for just a moment, all right? About five weeks ago, we looked at the first sign that Jesus did for his disciples, revealing who he was. And that was at the wedding in a place called Canaan, a little village in Galilee, where Jesus miraculously transformed something like 110 to 160 gallons of water, transformed it into wine. We're told that the disciples believed meaning they believed in Jesus' power. Because Jesus was demonstrating he was doing something with his life, with his ministry, with his incarnation as the Son of Man, doing something that had never happened before. He was introducing a new age. Then after that, Jesus took his disciples down to Jerusalem for a Passover celebration. And there, He cleansed the temple. He drove out the money changers, these people who were corrupting God's house. And by the way, he did this again at the end of his ministry, just like he did it at the beginning of his ministry, demonstrating his authority. Because when they challenged him as to what right did he have to do what he was doing, chasing all the money changers flipping over their tables. He said, I'll show you what right I have, what authority I have. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. Meaning his body. The temple of his body. The next thing was there was the interview of Nicodemus, the religious teacher of Israel, with Jesus. And Nicodemus, as he talked with Jesus, and Jesus very quickly cut through all the nice things that Nicodemus was saying and said, you need to be born again. You need to be born from above. That's the only way, it doesn't matter all that you know, because you know a lot, Nicodemus, about the Old Testament, but you've forgotten the most important thing. That is, nobody gets into the kingdom of God, into my kingdom, apart through being born of the water and being born of the spirit. So Nicodemus was challenged to obey Jesus's demand. Now what happened with Nicodemus is something we find out later in the gospel as far as what exactly he did. 
And then last week, Elder Don took us through John chapter three, verses 16 and 17, where we learned about and were reminded again of the greatest gift. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the challenge was, will we accept the father's offer, offering up his very own son, a demonstration for all time of just how much God loves people to bring them into a saving relationship with himself. And then finally, as we look at the four verses that we have for today, we'll look at two outcomes. One involves accepting the light, which is Jesus himself, believing in him, or the other outcome, and there's only two, the other outcome is choosing to remain in darkness, which leads to a very different result. All right. The main idea, if I had to boil this sermon down to one sentence, here it is. How we respond to Jesus determines where we end up. And looking at the outline, I'm not, was not raised a Baptist, but I think like one, I guess, because I got three points, okay? Every person's future is determined by three key words. Looking at verse 18, belief, what they do in terms of their belief with Jesus. Verse 19, judgment, because belief, one way or the other, results in judgment, either good or not so good. And finally, action, all right? So let's go ahead and to set the context, we're actually gonna read, I'm gonna start reading at John 3.16, even though that's what we heard about last week in terms of Elder Don's message, but it's all one paragraph. So start reading with me, please. I'm gonna begin at John 3.16 and we'll read through verse 21. Here we go. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. All right, um, let me just mention this before we get into the next part of the message. By the way, my voice may cut in and out. That's one thing about preaching twice the same day. The voice takes a battering, but the other thing is, is I can cut loose and just let it rip because I don't have to worry about talking after this. So (laughs) it could work either way, you know? What I was gonna say is this. There were no punctuation marks 
in Greek when the Apostle John wrote this wonderful gospel. So that means translators have to figure out in this chapter as well as in other places in, in scripture where exactly Jesus stopped speaking and where John begins to supply his own comments. Now, I've taught John a number of times at different places. My belief is, and no, I cannot back this up, but this is just kind of my own study. I think the Lord stopped talking himself at verse 15, right after he had told Nicodemus as an illustration of what he was trying to communicate, that Nicodemus, like the ancient people of Israel, needed to look upon Jesus and to accept Jesus for who he was, just like the people of Israel had to look upon that bronze snake so that they would not die from the snake bites that were afflicting them according to the book of, Judge, or book of Numbers. So I think what follows beginning at verse 16 through 21 is John reflecting upon after decades and decades of ministry what the gospel is all about. All right? He's pondered this for a long time, long time, and then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he records these words. Now, we already talked about verses 16 and 17. Let's start verse 18. Every person's future is determined by belief. Look at verse 18 for a moment in your Bible. Notice three times. The word belief shows up. Believe, believe, believe. Kind of important. But how someone chooses to believe leads to two different outcomes according to that one verse. A positive outcome, we're told, is believing or trusting in Jesus leads to no judgment. No condemnation. So Paul wrote in Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. We're free. Never will we be held accountable before God for our sins if we are in Jesus because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. No condemnation whatsoever if we believe in Jesus. Jesus himself said, John 10, 10, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Can't have abundant life if you're living under judgment or condemnation. You know, it's interesting. Um, many of us, I'm sure, have heard about the story behind the beautiful old hymn, Amazing Grace, written by a fellow named John Newton. For those of you who haven't, John Newton was a slave trader. He was a captain of his own slave ship. We would call him a human trafficker today. Responsible for probably selling hundreds if not thousands of people into slavery. In spite of that, 
he got saved. Not only did he get saved, but the Lord even called him to become a minister. And so John Newton spent the last 20, 30 some years of his life faithfully preaching the gospel in the city of London. And during that time, he wrote Amazing Grace. Talking about how God saved even a wretch like him. That's no condemnation. So the positive outcome of belief, no judgment. The flip side, verse 18, however, if one chooses not to believe in Jesus, is judgment. Now, if you look at verse 17, we're told in verse 17 that Jesus did not come to condemn. The purpose of Jesus' mission, why he came, why he became God in flesh, was not to condemn us, but rather to provide salvation for us. That was the reason why he came. But if anyone chooses to reject him, automatically they bring condemnation on themselves. Here's what it means, guys. There is no plan B when it comes to our salvation. We either come to eternal life through Jesus or we don't come. As the apostles said to the Sanhedrin in the days of the early church, they said this, they said, there is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And by the way, insisting upon that we're gonna find some other way into heaven, whether it's by our good works, whether it's by our pleasant thoughts, whether it's by some other religious, whatever it is, frankly, that is an insult to God himself. Because he gave his very, very best, his very own son, so that we could have everlasting life with him. And Jesus loved everyone enough to die on that cross so that we could indeed have a relationship with God. Now, notice the wording very carefully in verse 18. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's perfect tense. It means that somebody who rejects Jesus is already had judgment pronounced against them. It just hasn't been executed yet. Now, we can understand that. How many of us have gotten in trouble when we were a kid and we got in so much trouble that our mom said to us, you wait till your father gets home. <sighs> the rest of the day, we have this cloud hanging over us. And then we hear him come home and oh, that's the idea, okay? So, every first person's future is determined by belief. 
regarding belief about Jesus. The next verse, verse 19, every person's future is determined by judgment. Look at verse 19 with me. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. You know, it's interesting, in these few verses, light is mentioned five times. And of course, later on, twice, Jesus himself will tell us, I'm the light of the world. And the second time he says that in John chapter nine, verse five, is just before he heals a man who was born blind. Only man that was ever healed who was born blind in scripture. And he does that to demonstrate a living parable, a living illustration of what he as the light of the world can do. And that man gives a powerful testimony of Jesus, even though he had never actually seen Jesus, he kept telling the authorities as they put more and more pressure on him, he said, all I know is this, once I was blind, now I see. Jesus is the light. As a matter of fact, when John is introducing Jesus to us, way back at chapter one, of John, John chapter one, verses four and five, it says this. In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You can't translate what John wrote at that last part of that verse with just one English word. Overcome, it's a good translation, but you could also translate it, the darkness has not understood it. And guys, this world has never figured out Jesus. And they never will, apart from faith in him. Another way to translate that, the light has not been extinguished. Oh, Satan tried to extinguish Jesus on the cross. Didn't work. He overcame, he rose again. That's what the gospel is all about. So Jesus is the light, but the problem, as we come back to chapter three, verse 19, is a problem that we can all understand, because we've all been there. The problem is, is that spiritual darkness, we liked it. And unless, if you're somebody who's never come to Jesus, you like the darkness that you're in. You don't realize that it's dark. But that's the choice people have made before they come to Christ. By the way, sin, of course, is what is the affliction as a result of the fall of mankind. Sin is the affliction of every single person other than Jesus himself who's the only one who lived without sin. He had to, to be the perfect, sinless Lamb of God who died for our sin. But the fact that we're all tainted with sin, the theologians have a word for that, a phrase for that, they call it total depravity. Sadly, that gets misunderstood a lot to where people think, well, does that mean I can be as, I'm as bad as I, I could even be worse? Well, it means simply this, that we're all tainted with sin. 
We could be worse, but the problem is we're all messed up. Let me give you an illustration of this, okay, of the problem that we have. When I was about nine or 10 years old, I watched for the first time a movie that came out called The Time Machine. This was, you know, we're talking way back, folks, okay? There's these people in the time machine called the Morlocks. They're scary. I was terrified of the Morlocks because the Morlocks, they preyed upon these nice kind of childlike people called the Eloi and they treated the Eloi like so many walking pieces of hamburger because they would summon the Eloi into their caverns and then they would eat them. And the Morlocks lived in the darkness. They never came to the light. They just simply lived in these caverns underneath and they looked hideous. They looked like monsters. And I went home, now excuse me, I was already home, but I would go to bed at night after seeing that movie and it's like, what if the Morlocks show up? Oh, don't laugh at me. We've all been there, okay? <laughs> when you go to bed at night, you don't want, when you were a kid, you didn't want to have a hand or a leg hanging down because something was going to grab it, okay? That's how I felt about these things. Well, we all have this taint. We all have this problem with sin. And Paul, in Romans chapter 3, beginning at about verse 10, he strings together, Paul does, a whole series of quotations all taken from the Old Testament. And the point that he's trying to make is the fact that we're all in the same boat. We're all basically dealing with the issue of sin. And so Romans chapter three, beginning at verse 10, it says this. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. We're all, before we come to Jesus, we're all Morlocks. We're all tainted by the same condition. And the deal is we cannot possibly change it. We need a savior. And that's why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter two, verses four to six, Paul wrote this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what we have in Jesus. That's what's available 
Through Jesus, we can be transformed, desiring his light in our lives. Later, Paul writes to the Ephesians and he tells them this, once you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's our new identity. That's what's available to us in Jesus. Remember the, um, the old story by Hans Christian Andersen of the ugly duckling? You know, the, you have all these cute little ducklings, okay, and then you have this big kind of humongous bird that doesn't match, and the little ducklings, as they're talking to their mom, they go quack, 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 and then the ugly duckling. They go off swimming, honk, excuse me, quack, 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 honk! He doesn't fit. And then, of course, the story unfolds, the season goes by, and it's the next year, and that ugly duckling has become a swan. He's been transformed. He's become what he was meant to be, what he was intended to be. That's what happens when we come to Christ. We become a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. All right, third point, every person's future is determined by action. Let's take a look at verses 20 and 21. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Two kinds of action that are mentioned here. First of all, wicked things, and it's purposely left vague because we can use our imagination, sadly, and there's lots and lots of evil, nasty stuff out there. And then the other thing are true things. Hatred for God's light and fear of exposure, that's what sadly is what wickedness is all about. The deeds done in wickedness, nobody wants to have those portrayed. It's like if somehow somebody put on a big screen behind me and they could, everybody could see all the sins I've ever done, it's like, I don't want you guys to see that. No way, no how. I like what Gary Berg said to illustrate this, evil and darkness do not ignore the light, they wage war against it, trying to bring it down. The darkness launches a battle that brings about its own defeat. And the reason is, if there's a power struggle between the spiritual light that's in Christ versus the spiritual darkness of before somebody comes to Christ, it's no contest. Jesus' light is gonna win out every time. When I was about 15, I remember uh, our last family vacation I was able to go on before I started working. We went to Carlsbad Caverns, and I know some of us have been there as well, and I still remember to this day, all these years later, that at the bottom of that cavern, and it was just glorious what you could see with the lighting they had in there. But at one point, the ranger warned us ahead of time and he reached over and he flipped off the lights. 
And I distinctly remember waving my hand in front of my face and I could not see it. That darkness, I'm so thankful, he only kept the lights off for a minute or so because it was so oppressive. It was like you could feel it. And then the ranger lit his flashlight, basically so he could see what he was doing and flip the lights back on. But that one light dispelled the darkness. It's like all of a sudden you could see 100, 150 yards in that cavern because of that one little light. Light drives away the darkness. And by the way, we're told here in these verses that people, folks, before they come to Jesus, don't want their deeds exposed. What we gotta understand, everyone, is this. Everything will be exposed. It will happen when each and every person stands before the Lord himself. Hebrews 4.13 says, no creature is hidden from him, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom, to whom we must give an account. This is called the great white throne judgment. It's talked about in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, where everyone, the great, the not so great, the lowly, everyone, without exception, will stand before God himself. That's why Paul wrote, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is good, what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, I need to explain something and you need to catch this. If we are in Jesus, we do not need to fear that day. Because the issue of our eternal destiny has been settled. Our sins are forever under the blood of Christ. So when a believer, someone who is trusted in Jesus, stands before him, the issue is simply, what did you do? What did we do to serve Jesus? with whatever resources, gifts, talents, abilities, opportunities we had, what did we do with them? That's what's determined, okay? Not our salvation. Now, there's something else here that we need to catch. Look again at verse 21. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. That's, that's kind of a strange way to say it. The deal is this, whoever does what is true, in the Old Testament, to do what is true meant simply to live in faithfulness before the Lord. It's to live a life that pleases him. And the deal is, if you read the rest of verse 21, the people who do what is true, the people who live a life faithfully to the Lord, trying to please him, they want to come into the light. They want to stand before God. They want to be in God's presence. That's why David wrote in Psalm 27, verse four, one thing I ask of the Lord, 
that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in or to meditate. It's another way to translate that. To inquire or meditate in his temple. Above all else, that's what David wanted. To be with the Lord. Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To be with God. Not only do these kind of people want to be in Jesus' light or presence, they also want to bring glory to God by showing the Lord what they did as they served him. Do you remember Jesus' story, uh, the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25? You know, a talent was basically 75 to 100 pounds weight. So somebody given a talent of gold or silver, it's a whole lot of gold or silver, okay? But in the story, the Lord says, okay, one person got five talents, another person got two talents, one person got one talent. And then the Lord left and he told them, I want you to use these things in ways that basically add to my wealth, all right? Use it wisely. So the five-talent guy went out and immediately, according to the story, doubled the master's money. The two-talent guy doubles the master's money. We won't talk about the one-talent guy. I'll let you read that on your own. It wasn't good. But then when the Lord returns, the guy that has five talents, now it's 10, he charges into the Lord's presence and said, look, Lord, look what happened. I took your five, I turned it into 10. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. The two-talent guy comes in, also excited, tells the Lord, tells the master, I took your two talents and I doubled it. Same accommodation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Again, the deal is this. If we come to Jesus, and if we're walking in Jesus' light, we want to live a life that when at the end, when we stand before him, we can tell him, Lord, this is what you gave me. This is what I did with it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is a beautiful gift that we can never earn, but after we're saved, the best way we can show the Lord our appreciation for saving us is to faithfully serve him. We are his workmanship. We are, each and every one of us, created to somehow serve and honor and glorify God. That's why Paul wrote, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. What it comes down to on this third point is simply this, a question. Are we seeking to run from Jesus by our actions or please him 
with our service. You see, it's either one or it's the other. There is no middle ground here. And so as we wrap this up, again, returning to our main idea, how we respond to Jesus determines where we will end up. There are only two outcomes. And it all revolves around what are we gonna do about Jesus? Are we gonna come and experience the salvation, experience the light that he offers? Or are we going to choose a different path that frankly, the outcome is absolutely horrible. And no one needs to go that other way. So as Rachel plays and leads us in one final song, I'm gonna invite everybody who can to please stand. And we're going to close our service, have an opportunity for folks to come forward to pray. We'll have our prayer team here. We'll have some of our pastors and elders here. If you wanna come forward for prayer, whether it's something about this message or it's something else, this is your opportunity to do that. So you come forward as the Lord leads.